purposes of civil liability, the torturer has become, like the pirate and slave trader before him, an enemy of all mankind. But we've also seen uh, challenges as uh, two food crises, the biggest financial and economic crisis since the 1930s, and the WTO has remained solid in the midst of this tempest. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court, the Alien Tort Statute should not afford a cause of action to address the extraterritorial conduct of a foreign corporation. 751 Europeans have been elected to directly represent citizens from 28 different nations in all their diversities, with all their differences, with all their different outlooks on lives. But you all come together here. Hello, and welcome to Noma's Phone, a podcast series about current global legal issues produced by law students at Tilburg University's Global Law Program. I'm Ben. Today, we're going to address a topic with great legal and political importance. The second round of the French presidential election is fast approaching. On May 7th, the French people will elect their new president. While at the height of this democratic occasion, the ever-cherished Eiffel Tower is surrounded by forces of order as the country faces an unprecedented era of turmoil. In this episode, we will turn our focus to the current situation in France, focusing specifically on its seemingly permanent state of emergency and whether it is likely to change after the election. This is CNN Breaking News. And yes, we are just getting initial word of breaking news coming out of Nice in France. The mayor of Nice just tweeting in the last few minutes that dozens of people, these are This his is words. BBC World News Today with me, Tim Wilcock. We start now with some uh, breaking news. Reports are coming in of an attack, or quite possibly several attacks, in Paris. Uh, reports are talking of a burst of gunfire at a restaurant in the 10th uh, arrondissement. And a the detail... effort to identify three men. Today in Paris, in broad daylight, masked men entered the editorial offices of a satirical magazine and they came in firing. They were shooting to kill, and the death toll quickly reached a dozen, including two police officers. Before a series of repeated terrorist attacks in France have contributed to an ongoing situation of high alert. In January 2015, the attacks on the Charlie Hebdo offices killed 17 people. Less than a year later, a series of coordinated terrorist attacks in Paris on Friday, November 13th, killed 130 people, and another 368 people were injured. Then, in the evening of July 14, 2016, 86 people were killed and dozens more injured when a terrorist drove his truck into crowds celebrating Bastille Day in the French resort town of Nice. Following the attacks of November 2015, a state of emergency was declared across France and subsequently extended several times since. Most recently, the French Parliament adopted legislation extending the state of emergency to July 15, 2017. Sera décrété. A state of emergency will be proclaimed, which means that certain public places will be closed, traffic can be stopped, and searches ordered throughout Ile-de-France. 
The state of emergency is in place for the whole country. The second decision I have taken is to close the borders. We must ensure that no one can get in to carry out any action whatsoever. At the same time, those who might have committed crimes can be arrested if they were to leave. How does a country balance civil liberties with safety and security? And what does it mean for the French citizens to live under a state of perpetual emergency? Throughout our research for this episode, we focused mainly on the constitutionality of the state of emergency and its necessity, proportionality, and effectiveness. We spoke with two experts, Dr. Ionis Rodopoulos from the University of Luxembourg and Dr. Geert-Jan Lienkient, Associate Professor for Constitutional Law at Tilburg University. We discussed the extent to which the state of emergency and the 2016 French anti-terrorist legislation interferes with their rights to liberty, security, freedom of movement, privacy, and freedoms of association and expression. The legal legitimacy for a state of emergency in France ultimately stems from the 1955 State of Emergency Act and the French Constitution of 1958. The current state of emergency was declared on the authority of the 1955 Act, which was originally intended to deal with the Algerian War of Independence. The Act authorizes the declaration of a state of emergency for a maximum period of 12 days. It can be declared in the event of an imminent danger to public order or in relation to events which amount, by their nature and severity, to public disaster. Prolongation of the state of emergency beyond 12 days can only be decided by an act of parliament. As mentioned previously, this is exactly what happened after it first entered into force on November 20th, 2015. This state of emergency currently in force, or état d'urgence, is just one type of state of emergency that is possible under the French constitutional system. Article 16 of the Constitution allows, in times of crisis, extraordinary powers to be given to the President, leading to an effective state of exception. Article 36 regulates an event termed a state of siege. The difference between these three types of emergency regimes mainly concerns the distribution of powers. So how does this look in practice at the moment? The current French état d'urgence gives exceptional powers to the Minister of the Interior and to prefects or state representatives at the local level. They can pronounce house arrests for any person whose actions are deemed to be dangerous for security and public order without prior judicial authorization. Moreover, this person can be obliged to surrender his or her passport or ID card. The prefects can regulate or forbid circulation and gathering in some areas. The minister and the prefects can order places of gathering to be closed, and also, house searches can be executed without prior authorization from a judge. There is no need for the administration to motivate its decisions. House arrests or decisions forbidding someone from entering a defined area can be appealed. Now, a year and a half after it was first introduced, and following a number of attacks in France, do we still find justification for the duration and extent of the state of emergency in these provisions? As an expert in the field of constitutional law, we asked Dr. Linkient about his opinion on the constitutionality of the state of emergency. Uh, situation. So you're looking for sort of firm ground in an area where there isn't really. There, this is out, This is special constitutional law or emergency law in general for special situations and there's not much we know about that yeah. and and i think then the, the the thing is that terrorism is is a new sort of threat because 
the, the, the constitutional provisions on state of emergency were not designed to deal with, with terrorism. They were usually designed with you know, old-fashioned regular warfare in mind or with big natural disasters. And they tend to be more like fixed temporary events, right? Mm-hmm. If you have a big natural disaster, you get a couple of weeks to clean up and you're done. But terrorist threat is different because you never know when it ends. So this is this is the hard case for for emergency uh, regulations, I think. Arguably, there is some ambiguity in the legitimacy of justifying a state of emergency under the threat of terrorism, not to mention one that has been extended a number of times. If we define the doctrine of necessity as the basis on which extra-legal actions carried out by state actors and designed to restore order are found to be constitutional, is the state of emergency in France justified as long as there is a high security risk? This reasoning is dangerous on many levels. By suggesting that regular laws, procedures, and oversight mechanisms are not sufficient to counter threats, it weakens the premise of the rule of law and relegates it to a luxury for, quote, normal times. But it also sets the stage for the trap in which France finds itself. French leaders have implied that they will only lift the state of emergency when the security risk has subsided. But since they can't predict the risk of future terrorist attacks, they prefer to maintain it rather than pay a political price if a subsequent attack takes place. During our research, we were faced with the problem of defining the parameters of an imminent threat. What makes defining an immediate threat so difficult is the change in the nature of the phenomena. There is reason to believe that this type of threat will not end from one day to the next. After much discussion, we came to the conclusion that it's not possible, and perhaps not necessary, to precisely define an imminent threat. There are only different interpretations of it. To get some perspective on this question, we met with Dr. Ionis Rhodopoulos in Luxembourg and asked him what an imminent threat means in the context of France and its seemingly permanent state of emergency. So the question of immediate threat, legally speaking, doesn't mean that doesn't mean necessarily a short-term threat. It does mean that the threat has to be present and uh, it, the threat has to be immediate in the sense that it's current. It's, uh, it's not a threat uh, that could appear according to analysis in the future. So there is an immediate threat. The question is of what nature is this immediate threat? Because there is the immediate threat of a person taking a knife and uh, threatening policemen. This has happened two days ago. So, the, and then it happened at the Gare du Nord, before it happened at the Champs-Élysées, they shot the policeman. So, the threat is immediate. The question is, if the nature of the threat is such that a proper state of emergency with all these powers to the executive, with no clear delimitation of these powers, if it is proportionate, the threat is there. But the fact that the threat is there doesn't mean that we can justify anything because there is an immediate threat. Always there is an immediate threat. Perhaps the relevant question concerning a state of emergency is not whether there is an immediate threat, but rather whether the measures taken proportionately correspond to the perceived threat. 
There has been much discussion and criticism of the path taken by the French government, including beyond France's own borders. The United Nations, various legal experts, and Human Rights Watch have actively participated in the discussion and have expressed their concerns regarding threats to certain fundamental rights and freedoms within France. The UN's concern is that the diminishment of the rule of law, along with the emergence and consolidation of a security state self-legitimized by the adoption of measures that would be increasingly harmful to fundamental rights and liberties, would be a large victory for terrorists and other enemies of human rights. The current state of emergency allows the executive to order searches of homes and place persons under house arrest without prior judicial approval. For instance, in 2015 alone, at least 24 environmental activists were placed under house arrest in accordance with the newly acquired powers. The activists were accused of flouting a ban on organizing protests during the Paris Climate Summit. An activist named Amélie described the violent actions of police, that she was legally prohibited from leaving her hometown, that she is required now to register three times a day at the local police station, and that she must stay at home between the hours of 8 p.m. and 6 a.m., all actions taken by the powers granted by the French state of emergency. While exceptional measures may be required under exceptional circumstances, this does not relieve the authorities from demonstrating that these are applied solely for the purposes for which they were prescribed and directly related to the specific objectives that inspired them. As in the case of Amelie, the state of emergency has been exploited by the government to restrain people with opposing views and opinions. Furthermore, it appears the executive has not been overly successful with their state of emergency tactics. Numbers show that police and security forces have carried out about 3,600 raids on homes since the beginning of the state of emergency, from which only six resulted in terrorism-related inquiries, and only one led to prosecution. Until the end, uh, there were only I think five or six cases related to terrorism. Of course, we cannot expect that every perquisition will lead to a conviction and that the policemen will focus from the very first moment on the right person. Okay, but we've seen uh, we've seen uh, acti ecologists, activists to be uh, treated as terrorists. So it's we are not talking about a potential danger of, uh, normalize, of normalization of the state of exception. The question is, is not, I, I mean that now I go, I go quite often to Paris, but I don't live there anymore. My impression is that at least in the center of Paris, there is a balance. I don't feel like being in a properly police state. So the state of emergency, I had lived also there at the 2005 uh, state of emergency with uh, the riots in the suburbs. I can say that there I could feel more intensely the police repression. On the other hand, this was only a week or I don't know how many days, I don't remember how many days it had uh, lasted. Well, now we are talking about two years. And if we knew that these two years are close to an end or if we knew that these two years will be three years, let's say that with the proper control, etc., this is something that the French can live with. 
but the danger is that we don't see any end. The powers of house arrest and house searches without prior judicial authorization granted under the state of emergency are especially difficult to reconcile with the standards of the European Convention on Human Rights and the case law of the European Court of Human Rights. Seemingly, France has recognized the detrimental effect of its current measures on human rights and fundamental liberties. To escape the European Convention on Human Rights and the International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights, France preemptively submitted letters of derogation to the Secretary General of the United Nations and the Council of Europe following the enactment of a state of emergency in November 2015. Your Excellency, on the 13th of November 2015, large-scale terrorist attacks took place in the Paris region. Taking into account information from the intelligence services and the international context, the terrorist threat in France is of a lasting nature. The French government has decided to enact the State of Emergency Act of 1955 as of the 14th of November 2015. The cumulative decrees of the 14th and 18th of November 2015 have defined a number of measures that may be taken by the administrative authorities. The Act of the 20th of November 2015 authorized an extension of the state of emergency for three months, with effect from the 26th of November 2015, and also amends certain measures of the State of Emergency Act of 1955 in order to adapt its content to the current context. The texts of the decrees and acts mentioned above are attached to this letter. Such measures appeared necessary to prevent the commission of further terrorist attacks. Some of these measures may involve a derogation from the obligations under the International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights, and particularly its Articles 9, 12, and 17. I would therefore kindly request you to consider that this letter constitutes a notification for the purposes of Article 4 of the Covenant. Accept, Your Excellency, the assurances of my highest consideration, François Delattre. France's derogation notices are remarkably vague and unhelpful, merely stating that some of the emergency measures may involve a derogation from their obligations under the European Convention on Human Rights. The notices fail to indicate exactly which measures do require derogation from France's obligations and to what extent, let alone why precisely those specific measures are strictly required by the exigencies of the situation. What Strasbourg may make of this rather pro forma derogation, if and when a relevant case comes before it, is anyone's guess. An increase in anti-terrorism measures can be observed all over Europe and beyond, justified as part of a state's obligation under international law to protect its citizens. As Dr. Rodopoulos put it, we could qualify the actual terrorist threat as a local phenomena, which is a term used in social sciences to describe a phenomena that on one hand represents an international aspect, but is strictly dependent not only on national causes, but also regional or local causes. This raises a question, which level of government is most effective in mitigating the harm, and ultimately which community are we protecting in the end? Is it the national community of France, or the larger European community, or the even larger Western community? Well, I'm not sure if it's bigger uh, anymore because um, um, apparently the nation-state is not the right context to protect people from these dangers, right? Because national states are ineffective, they have to cooperate yeah. with others. But, but if you take it even to, to a, a global level, 
then it's becoming even harder to make effective decisions. So you talk a lot and uh, you, you have conventions and you have treaties and you have all kinds of things and maybe, maybe it will help a little bit, but actually the problems are, are felt at, at, at the local level. Yeah. In big cities like, like Paris and London mm-hmm. and Berlin and where do you have it? So actually, the ones that have to deal with the problems, the ones that have to you know, clean up the mess, are the governors of the cities that, that have these problems. And they have to make their cities safe and they have to sur- surveil all, all, you know, all traffic and all movement. So taking this levels up to a global level is taking it away from the level where the, the problem can be solved, which is probably the local level, um, big cities. And uh, that's another movement in, 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 well, not yet in constitutional law, but in, in, in theories about governance, is that we are, we're, we're forgetting or we're neglecting the role of, of big cities in all that. Because it's the mayors of those big cities and the governors of those big cities that have to solve the problems. And they have to get you know, the, the financial means and the, and the people, etc., et from the national government, of course, but they're the ones that have to solve the problem. So maybe, maybe globalizing this is, is not the only or not the right solution. Yeah, so it seems as though there is a significant international aspect to addressing the threat of terrorism. It perhaps goes without saying that it is not only France that is suffering from the threat of terrorism, and in this respect, the attacks can be viewed more broadly than an attack on France, but as an attack on fundamental freedoms and European values. Yeah, but that's when you saw the, the uh, attacks in France on uh, Charlie Hebdo. They yeah. had these, uh, these demonstrations the days after, and you saw the leaders of all Western countries on the front row, not just the French ones, but all of them, because it is something that the, the West, uh, Western Europe, North America, um, believes to be an attack on their way of life on their ideology so it's 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 it is becoming something global and the fact that we still organize the world into nation states with governments and legislators that have national powers is a problem because they can't solve the problem on their own and that's why we have these coalitions in 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 the UN and NATO and um other coalitions outside these international organizations that try to fight terrorism all, all over the world and the Americans say, well, if, if, if the UN or NATO doesn't do it, or the Chinese, we'll go there and we'll fight ourselves. But it's essentially the whole, you know, the whole Western world yeah. that is under threat. If we envision terrorism as a local phenomenon, France is not the only country under threat, especially if we see the attacks as that on our fundamental democratic principles. The threat is always present. The French counterterrorism law of May 2016 was an attempt to return to normality while giving increased powers to the police and the executive in order to get out of the state of emergency that included little to no control on police actions, but to continue to operate at a heightened state of security. However, there has been little to suggest that the quantifiable utility the state of emergency had in its initial days has remained, and perhaps the debate should be reframed. Seemingly, lifting the state of emergency in France is becoming less dependent on security considerations and more on political calculations. French leaders have implied that they will only lift the state of emergency when the security risk has subsided, but since they can't predict the risk of future attacks, they prefer to maintain it rather than pay a political price if a subsequent attack takes place. The pressure and responsibility is placed on the next president and legislature. 
This would also explain why the latest extension of the state of emergency was driven largely by the electoral calendar. While one could argue that the state of emergency is ineffective, as several attacks could not be prevented after the introduction of the state of emergency in France, we can also see France facing a significant dilemma. In the event of the next terror attack that occurs outside of a state of emergency, we would most certainly ask ourselves how this could have been prevented, and to what extent would we be willing to sacrifice our freedoms to prevent it. So does this mean to achieve security we have to sacrifice some of our liberties? The multiple, widespread, and unpredictable terror attacks in France arguably provide more than enough reason to introduce a state of emergency. Naturally, the government needs to give the people the impression that something is being done to protect them in their everyday lives. This includes the legitimization and justification of practices that previously were not accepted, whereby some exceptional rules may be justified temporarily. However, the major problem is the normalization of these exceptional measures. The imprecise and unpredictable nature of the attacks themselves, and the ongoing nature of modern terror threats, create a situation where one cannot foresee any near future in which the threat of terrorism is not present. It is difficult to say definitively when or if France should lift this state of emergency. There may always be a reason to retain it, and even a minor attack, in France or elsewhere, may be enough to justify its continuance politically. The current threat level is unlikely to diminish anytime soon, and accordingly, it becomes harder and harder to politically or legally justify temporary or exceptional measures. Arguably, maintaining the state of emergency in perpetuity erodes the rule of law and fosters human rights abuses. Although there are still some rule of law protections in place, and it would be an exaggeration to speak of pure police state or a dictatorship in France, the continuing state of emergency undermines France's credibility towards upholding fundamental rights and freedoms. It will be interesting to see how the upcoming French presidential election affects France's state of emergency and international policy in the future. Noma's Phone is a production of students in Tilburg University's Global Law Program. This episode of Noma's Phone was written and produced by Selina Holstein and Kleiser Mittenen, and narrated and edited by me, Benjamin Wiles. We thank Dr. Ionas Rodopoulos and Dr. Hirt Yan Linken for their engagement in today's episode, and Justin Karras for narration assistance. We thank Tilburg University Law School for supporting this podcast. Watch out for more podcast episodes coming soon. And you can find all of our episodes on iTunes and SoundCloud. Thanks again for joining us. And until next time. You couldn't see a thing.